Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. We like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein. We tend to do that in the world of sports, of comedy, of books, of entertainment, the like goes on and on, and we're covering several of those today with a guy that we've been trying to get on here for quite a while, and praise God for Allison, who works with Mark. It took a while, but we got here. Mark Batterson, welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside Podcast. Thank you, but don't ask me to say that three times fast, Jeff. <laughs> well, it's usually easier to just say the PPP, so... There okay. you go. There's a there's an explanation for that podcast title. When I did Young Life, I used to at camp. I would be with a group of kids, and me and one kid might go off and do that Young Life chat thing or whatever. And people said, "Uh oh, that person's getting a Pinkleton pull aside." So <laughs> I love it. That's how that plays out. So I like to make the connection how I have the guest on that I do. So with you, I encouraged this person, this pastor friend of mine, who gave me. In a pit with a lion on a snowy day yesterday, he was super excited to know that you're going to be on. And his pastor in Springfield years ago came up to me and said, Jeff, you need to read this book. And we weren't like best friends. We weren't super close, but I've told him to this day, I'm very grateful that he decided to give me that book and we're friends and he's leading the Nazarene denomination. I think it is in the state of West Virginia, or at least a region of it. And I went on to read numerous books, A Trip Around the Sun, I remember reading in Montana. And location has a lot to do with that. As you know, you use a phrase that I've used a ton and give you credit for it most every time. Change of pace plus change of place equals change of perspective. And again, I'm going to continue to brag on you here. You were gracious when I was potentially going to D.C. one time, and I found your email, and you said you'd meet with me, and I think you said... 2 p.m. Tuesday of that week. And I said, well, hey, Kara, I'm going to D.C. I'm meeting with U.S. Senate Chaplain Barry Black, and I'm meeting with Mark Patterson. And she was great. And I brought my friend John Balzer. And you've been nothing but great ever since. And when I get to know guys like you and the Clark Kellogg's of the world and other people, people will ask me off and say, hey, Jeff, is so-and-so as great as I would hope they are? Well, we're going to find out more in this podcast. But with you, the answer is resounding yes. And you will help me unpack that in a little bit about a recent super cool testimony that I'm excited for people to hear. But Mark, tell us your your testimony. How did you, a couple minutes worth, how did you come to know Jesus? Well, you had to bring up Clark Kellogg. <laughs> do, do you know he paid me maybe one of the greatest compliments I've ever been paid? What's that? Well, I mean, Clark played ball, played NBA. And uh, I was speaking at a conference. He was the MC. I get done speaking. I walk off stage. And he says to me, you played ball, didn't you? Oh. And I, I said, yeah. He said, I could tell by the way you walked. Wow. And immediately I had a 
I had a man crush. Is that okay? Hey, um, either one of you can I have it with the like, other. Dude, when a when a six nine guy says to a six three guy that played D three <laughs> ball. Oh. Um, now, I mean, I was the first team All American and double C double A. Yeah, the extra C stands for Christian. But That's right. so anyway, Clark. I I owe Clark uh, a debt of gratitude because I've lived off of that compliment uh, quite a while. Because I I that was a long time ago, Jeff. But I will say this: the older you get, the better you were. That's right. That's everybody, right? Yeah, hundred uh, so, percent. Love that yeah. story. So I didn't answer your question at all. You're going to. That's okay. I know you will. Okay. <laughs> so uh, yeah, for for the last twenty seven years, I've had the joy of pastoring National Community Church in Washington, D.C. I feel as called to write as I do to pastor. So those are two hats that I wear. But but I better say this. At the end of the day, I want to be famous in my home. Success is when those who know you best respect Amen. you most. That's my wife and my three kids. And so I, I love living on Capitol Hill, love pastoring in this city, and uh, it's just an absolute joy. So I, I'm just a guy that believes in long obedience in the same direction. You overestimate what you can do in a year or two, but you underestimate what God can do in 10 or 20. So that's a very short, short version of kind of what, what I do by day. Yeah. When did you first experience the love of God where you were like, okay, this Jesus guy is real? Yep. I'm five or six years old. My parents take us to a Billy Graham film called The Hiding Place. I watched this movie about a woman named Corey Ten Boom. They were hiding Jews during the Holocaust, and they end up in a concentration camp. Her father and her sister die in those camps. Corey pretty miraculously survives. And somehow, Jeff, I watched that movie as a little kid and I go home and I asked my mom if I can ask Jesus into my heart. And uh, it was one of those small step, giant leap moments. And, and then you just you keep growing in your understanding of who God is and and how much he loves us. And uh, but that's that's where the journey began for me with a with a Billy Graham film of all things. Well, and I can't love that enough since we just spent time together. Me and some guys went down and saw you in Asheville at the Billy Graham Training Center. And, and uh, it's amazing today. I'm sure you deal with this some, too. It's interesting the number of people I do meet that they have a tie in their testimony or their parents or their grandparents or somebody to Billy Graham. It's, you know, we think, well, he preached to all these people. All these people went forward. Is that personal anyway? Well, it seems like there's enough of them. Yeah, I would say so. The... uh there's a domino effect that his life and ministry had. And, you know, in, in the current landscape where there's a lot of leaders failing and falling, mm. you know, for a Billy Graham to live his life and do what he did and maintain the kind of integrity yeah. that he had, I think we we need more of that. We need a little less... Uh, well, we need no celebrity culture. Listen, at the end of the day, uh, there's only one person who died on a cross for wow. me, only one person who rose from the dead three days later. His name is Jesus, and he gets all the glory. Amen. So, yeah. Wow. 
Well, let me let me ask you about this. I was thinking about this in, in relation to, you know, many times over, I've seen, heard from you books, preaching online, whatever, maybe conversations. I love the word invitation. I, I think it's one of the greatest words. You know, Jesus invites us to follow him from fishermen laying down nets to following him. And we get a chance to do that. Does that word resonate with you when you think about writing books, when you think about Sunday sermons, when you think about family, you think about life? Do you think there's something to be said for that? Like Jesus invites us, we get to invite people. What does that mean to you, invitation? Yeah, I I think the word invitation sets a tone. A person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. No one on earth wants to be told what to do, but people respond to genuine invitation. And that was the heart of Jesus. Come unto me, uh, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There are all these different kinds of invitations. So, Jeff, I would say that, you know, some people paint Christianity as being exclusive. And please hear me. No one else lived a sinless life. No one else died on a cross for my sin. No one else rose from the dead on the third day. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. But whosoever will may come. Like the the amazing thing about Jesus is it's this open invitation. Is it okay if I poke a little bit? Because I think there are a lot of people who think they're following Jesus when in reality, they've invited Jesus to follow them. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different deal. It's not about them serving God's purposes. It's about God serving their purposes. And I've been there and done that. You know, when I was 19, I would have said I was following Jesus. The reality is I would step up to the free throw line and say, Lord, help me make this free throw for your glory, of course. Uh, You know, help me ace this test. It was more of a self-centered relationship. You know, what can God do for me as opposed to me taking up my cross. And and those are two very different things. So if we if we play discipleship like a game of telephone and you go three or four generations deep, the message is going to start sounding a little different or whatever, what would you hope and expect that Mark Batterson disciples to the fourth generation? What would earmark their following of Jesus? I'm guessing like adventure is probably part of it, but what are some things, you know, whether that's family members, that's great, great, grandkids, that's people from NCC, whatever, what would followers of of Jesus who followed your example look like to the fourth generation? Wow, that's not an easy question to answer, but I think it would probably revolve around this idea that we don't have to do amazing things for God. God's the one who does amazing things for us. Our job is consecration. It's going all in, time, talent, treasure, past, present, future, heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's all of me for all of him. Mm. There's something about this idea of going all in with God that the world has yet to see what God can do through one person wholly consecrated to him. That That's something that D.L. Moody heard many, many moons ago and changed his life. And so I, I think if we're holding out on God, really we're holding out on ourselves. And so to me, there's something about just only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I think it was uh, 
CT stud who maybe penned that poem in the first place. But yeah, Jeff, I'm cut from the cloth that let's not just talk about holiness by subtraction or sins of commission. Don't do this. Don't do that. Yep. You're okay. No, no, no. Goodness is not the absence of badness. You can do uh, nothing wrong and still do nothing right. So I'm I'm cut from the cloth. The potential is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift back to God. So I think maximizing that God-given potential, whatever it is, and using it for his glory, living for the applause of nail-scarred hands, that that's that's pretty close to the bullseye. Yeah. That CT stud quote, I love that. I just shared that on social media the other day. And I, and I think, you know, there's, with all that you said there, there's a lot of simplification. I mean, you just, you break it down to a few things and, and that's kind of life and life abundantly. So I want to look at four things that come to mind when I think of you, that your life seems to be built on. Not that this is, you know, exclusive, but I was thinking of these four things. Writing, and I love your priorities and why you do that. It's kind of ultimately a family first and for grandkids, great, great, all that. Moments and monuments, I called it, the, the benchmarks, the shrine. You're in your office. I know you always have these little earmark things that, you know, you use for mementos. You're a bucket list guy, and you clearly love to travel. If any one of those things were removed from your life, what would be missing? Because all four of those seem to mean something significant to you. How would your life be different with those taken out? It might be like Jenga. <laughs> <laughs> You pull one out, but I, I think writing is a calling. And I and I will say this, that I'm not naturally gifted as a writer. I took an aptitude assessment when I was 22, showed a low aptitude for writing, but I feel called to write. And God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. So writing is such an expression of heart and soul for me. And that doesn't mean it's easy, mm -hmm. but man, if I couldn't write, I, I would feel like I'm not serving my purpose on this planet. So that's that to me is a little bit different than the others. You know, the moments and monuments, I, I'm just mindful. And, and one of my kind of rules of life is don't accumulate possessions, accumulate yeah. experiences. And so this idea of there's holy ground all around us. We just have to recognize how and where God is working and moving. And then we've got to do a little bit better job at, in a sense, the Jewish word would be mezuzah. You know, it's this box that held the Shema that was on the door frames where if you're Jewish, you're walking past that mezuzah as a ritual reminder. Why? Because we tend to remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember. So yeah, I, I live my life in a way that I'm always going after the bucket list. Some of that involves travel. Some of that is is different goals that I've set. And then it's mo moments and monuments along the way that you keep building altars. I, in my mind, you have two options, either, either idols or altars, whatever you don't put on the altar, I think turns into an idol. So, yeah. So let's talk, you know, more about writing. You've written 23 books now, is that right, that are out? Is 23 the right number? Yeah. 
Do you look back at any of those, and I guess I'm, I'm giving you a chance to be humble here. Do you look at any of those books and think, ah, if I did that over again, eh, I don't know about that book. I mean, is there any book that you look back and think, oh, give me a redo? Mm, there would be a few books I would retitle. Okay. You know, in terms of the content, it is what was white hot at the time. Sure. You evolve as a writer. So hopefully you're you're more effective at writing now than hopefully you were 17 books ago. But, you know, I was writing in that moment with God's help and his anointing. So I wouldn't take any of them back. I would probably retitle a few of them. Give us a retitle. Like what would be something maybe you'd retitle? Yeah, Primal sounds like a novel or I I don't know what it sounds like, but it was my most left brain book, kind of this breakdown of the great commandment. What does it mean to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength? But I don't think Primal captured Mm. what I what it what it could have been or should have been. Maybe I got too fancy that, you know, it's just a book about the great commandment. Maybe I should have just done more of a straightforward title because it's not one of my best sellers, okay. to say the least. Okay. Yeah. So if someone's going on a retreat, so, you know, I just got back from the monastery. I love to go to this place in Indiana. You know, I've tried to sell you on this place in Montana that I know they'd love to have you out there and probably some NCCers with you. If someone was going to take three of your books and get away and it was going to make a deep impact, let's say one of them is going to be Please Sorry Thanks because that's your newest book. And it's been great hearing you on a number of podcasts talk about that. What would be two other books that they should take with them? to really do a deep dive and, and they could get most bang out of the buck and fruit from God on those three books. Yeah. If it's a retreat, the first book I would pick up is actually whisper how to hear the voice of God. And I kind of break down the the seven, I would call them love languages that God speaks in. And, uh, you know, I think the still small voice of the Holy spirit has to be the loudest voice in your life. And all of us want a prophetic voice, but it starts with a prophetic ear. Mm. And so I, I, like you, Jeff, do silent retreats. I find places and seasons to unplug, to do a little ear cleansing. But Whisper would be right at the top of the list. And then, and then I might recommend Draw the Circle, the 40-Day Prayer Challenge, because there's something about 40 days devoted to prayer that has helped, well, at this point, more than a million people to really discern what God is speaking to them in prayer. And so probably whisper and draw the circle. But if if it's someone who's retreating to go after a Big, hairy, audacious goal I might throw in, chase the chase line. Chase the line. I knew that was coming. Yeah. So let's stay on Draw the Circle because we talked before we got on air, and you and I have texted you before about knowing impact or someone's had a testimony. In your wildest dreams, I mean, obviously Draw the Circle plays off Circle Maker, but how far past your greatest hopes and imagination is Draw the Circle and all the testimonies that go with it? And I've told you I just believe that two-minute little video you made with it 
the access, the journal. There's all these cute little drawings people have made out there that you can Google and find. How far past your hopes and imaginations it has that book gone? That's hard to put into words because I am like I'm a I'm an eternal optimist, Jeff. I my favorite piece of poetry is Emily Dickinson. I dwell in possibility. So I we joke as a family that like I wake up every morning and today could be the day I win the lottery and I don't even play the lottery. <laughs> so that that's kind of like that's the way I'm wired. But you know, to have collectively the circle maker draw the circle, praying circles around your children, yeah. and then a few journals for those to sell many millions of copies, I probably did not have a category for. But, you know, you you uh, you put everything you have into it, and then you put it into God's hands. That's how I see it. And and just so that anybody listening can really hear my heart, to me, a book sold is not a book sold. It's a prayer answered because I've had a prayer team that from that very first book has prayed that the Lord yeah. would put these books in the right hands at the right time. So I really view it as divine appointments. When someone says or apologizes to me for not having read a book, I'm like, no apology necessary. Like it must not be the right time. So it's uh it it has been humbling and uh and honestly pretty edifying in ways that I just would not have imagined. For example, I would not have thought that tens of thousands of copies of my books would make it into prison cells mm -hmm. and that those who are behind bars would spend five or six hours with me via a book. And so many of them would then begin a next chapter once they're released and, and get a new lease on life. And the fact that I could be a little piece of that, that Jeff, that wasn't the audience I was sure. intending to write for, but but that's just like God, you know, he, yeah. he, uh, he does what he does. It's just amazing to me. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, you mentioned praying circles around your children. I've given that book to num numerous people when they have their first baby. I'm sure other people do that, but I was looking here on Amazon. So draw the circle came out November 20th, 2012, for, at least in my world. And I've been, I've used that with people for a number of years now, but this past year, it's probably, I, you know, Angie here at the radio station mentioned she took it after uh, I got her connected to it. I can think of numerous people uh, I know in the past. So just in the past year. So this is year 10, 11, whatever. It's taken on new life just that I know of. And I'm sure it goes way beyond me. And I just can't imagine, you know, I, I think about this when a musician writes a song, you know, anybody that creates anything, but I just can't imagine. I mean, what are, what are the, what did I see here? Those the number of Tom's 7,284 reviews. I think it's 4.8. I mean, come on. That's, that's a whole heck of a lot right there for draw the circle. <laughs> you know, it is, it is a decade old, but it's one of those long tail books. And I, I've had people come up to me and, and show me their book and say, I've, I've done the, the 40 day prayer challenge. 17 times or, 
you know, seven times, or I've done it with our family or with our business or with uh, our church or organization. You know, I, even a few years ago, because we share a love of sport, it was uh, Golden State, 11 out of 12 players on their team read through draw the circle with their chaplain a number of years ago, the year that they, one of the years that they won the NBA championship. And so Jeff, I'm not saying that's why they won, but I'm not saying it's not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just funny. It it you just never know. I I've been kind of astounded at some of the circles that it's gotten into. It's pretty fun. Well, do you? It's funny as you even said that. Thinking about Golden State. I mean, do you ever catch yourself like you catch an interview or you see it on YouTube or wherever it may be, you know, on ESPN or whatever, and you hear people using language? Because I've I've done this and I've said, oh, they've clearly read one of Mark's books. You know, Buzz Williams. I know. I can think of some others where it's like they're using this language, and it's like, oh, they've read this book or that book. One of them. It's pretty clear. Does that make you laugh? Oh. Or oh, I I love it. So you know, John Harbaugh. Uh, Baltimore Ravens, you know, chase the lion yeah. is one of their one of their themes. And uh, a couple of seasons ago, and and of course, win the day, which which win the day, you know, you got to tip your cap to a few college programs that probably popularized that phrase. I couldn't believe uh, I was able to snag that title uh, mm. for a book, but yeah, I. I love it. And and honestly, Jeff, there's nothing original under the sun. Yep, yep. And so I, I really don't mind. Well, I better be careful because we, we've we had people uh, plagiarized to the point of literally taking the entire book in another mm. country, slapping their name on it and publishing it. So let's wow. not do that. Yeah. Let's not encourage. Uh, but I don't mind at all if people use that chase the line manifesto, uh, whatever it is like to me, use it and uh, leverage it, even put your fingerprint on it. Uh, that's that's a lot of fun to stand back and and watch. Well, you're, you just clearly there's a humility about you. There's a give it away mindset that's just very clear that epitomizes who you are. So there are people who would probably stick a gun in my head and shoot me. If I did not in this podcast talk about this recent moment where our worlds collided and NCC, where I'm wearing, proudly wearing their hat right now, and Fellowship, where I attend church in Springfield, Ohio, just had a pretty cool, to use your word, miracle moment, thanks to your leadership. Can you share a little bit about that from your perspective? Yeah, and I better give some context. So... We have a little mantra as a family, flip the blessing, that wherever God has blessed us, we, we want to return that blessing to other people. So, you know, 27 years ago, we move into a movie theater at Union Station and a church gave us a $5,000 gift that helped us buy the lighting equipment to kind of pull off church in a theater. We have now given hundreds of $5,000 gifts, Jeff, because it's meaningful to us to then flip that blessing. Uh, th there's a church that when we moved into our new facility, another church in our neighborhood gave us a $10,000 gift. And so we flipped that blessing for some other churches that are getting into their new campuses. Well, 
it was a number of years ago. We had bought a city block and it was not cheap. Cost of doing ministry in DC is pretty expensive, but a uh, many millions of dollars was gifted to us in a way that we could retire our debt. You don't forget that. And we're blessed to be a blessing. So uh, all of that to say, uh, our mutual friend, your pastor, Pastor Jeremy, came out to D.C. We spent an afternoon together. And when I heard that Fellowship had reduced their debt from $2.1 million, I believe, mm -hmm. to 70000 immediately something happened in my spirit. And I, and I thought, we could retire this debt. But I think people listening will know Sometimes it takes a few prompting. And in this case, three <laughs> times in the same day, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, just take a step of faith, ask people to give. And long story short, at a house of prayer, what a joyful moment when we obeyed that prompting. We took an offering and we sent a check for $70,000 to retire that debt. And I honestly don't know, Jeff, who was smiling bigger. Mm. Uh, National Community Church on this side or fellowship on that side. But here's what I'm believing. Like, what if this actually happened in the kingdom? And I better say, it's not about the name over the church no. door. It's about the name above all names. So part of our heartbeat is how can we do things that don't have our name on it? And if we started doing more of that, I think we would see the kingdom come in some pretty powerful ways. And we just felt like a high level of confidence that fellowship has some unbelievable vision. Well, let us get it. Let's get back to break even. Let's get that debt off of our back. And now let's dream bigger, pray harder, think longer and see what God wants to do. Well, I'm eager and excited to see when that's coming back, that, that your people get to see that from our end. I know they're working on that. You know, even last night, Jeremy had kind of the next step dreaming, you know, night with uh, some stakeholders and just the energy and excitement every time that gets told and people just blown away, you know, A, a church in Washington, D.C., for us in Springfield, Ohio, probably not too many transactions have taken place over the years like that from D.C. to Springfield. You know, you with Jeremy, you know, I know all those guys that day in Asheville when we hung out at the Cove, thoroughly enjoyed time with you. And again, it's long obedience in the same direction, your humility in that, uh, not trying to make anything about, I mean, when you say it's the name above all names, it's a name above the building, not about buildings. You just epitomize that. We've seen it time and time again. I've shown pictures from the Cove when you were just at the end, low key, most people probably not even noticing it. But I had seen you walking around praying. You got down on your knees, prayed for an older woman, touching her foot. And I'm just like, that's just how Mark lives life. It's an example for all of us to follow. And, uh, you know, I look forward to the day when Fellowship's doing things, obviously, in a similar light. I think that's going to be sooner than later. And, uh, you know, you being a piece, and if this is a long chain many times over, coming the direction of you and your church, going out the other way, it's, it's just such a great example and you've been, you've been honest and humble in a way that I really appreciate, and and I think others do too, where you talked about, you know, you and Laura having some heart-to-hearts years ago about maybe where your attitude could be better towards churches in D.C. and putting them forth, and then you started bringing pastors in. Talk more about maybe where that's been a work God's done in your heart to become even more 
others focus from a church standpoint. Yeah. And just for everybody listening, Jeff, just to let everybody personalize it. I really do believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said it. I've experienced it. And there's just no greater joy than giving. And I think when God gives a vision, he makes provision. But he also wants to know that we're not a cul-de-sac, that we're not going to just hang on to, that we are a conduit of that blessing. And so one of our core convictions is that God is going to bless us in proportion to how we give to missions and care for the poor in our city. And we've banked on that conviction for 27 years. We're not going to stop now. We're going to continue to try to be be generous and, and see what God does. So yeah, the Lord convicted me a number of years ago that it was easier for me to pray for a pastor four states away than four blocks away. So the way we solve for that is that if there's any church that's being planted in the D.C. area that's preaching the gospel, I don't care what denomination. If you're preaching the gospel, we want to be a shareholder. And what that does is then that means part of our heart is in that church. And now we relate to them very differently. And, and there's this there's this supernatural synergy, kind of a collegiality that we're in this thing together. And so we're we're believing that here in Washington, D.C. There's no way that one church can accomplish all of God's purposes. Like we we need lots of different kinds of churches because there are lots of different kinds of people. Yeah. Let me talk real quick about culture in the church. You you were you were good about sharing with us. Um, when we were there in, in North Carolina, just where you've kind of felt some brunt of kind of where culture's hitting the church and hitting you and with writing and everything like that. Where did you see, because you get a chance to hear from a lot of people, I'm sure, through email, through social about testimonies and ways God's being faithful and prayer requests and hard stuff. Where are we as the church, Big C Church, getting hit hard by the world right now? And we need to pay attention because damage is being done. And where do you see some things going really well where you're like, man, a church is making major way right here in this area? So hit it on a positive and a negative. Well, no no easy answers here, but I'm cut from the cloth that Paul didn't just boycott the Areopagus. He walked in and competed for the truth in the marketplace of ideas. So I think we need to write better books, produce better films, draft better legislation, start better businesses. How? With the help of the Holy Spirit. So I, I want us to be more known for what we're for than what we're against. As it relates to culture, there are just some tension points right now. Uh, for example, if you filter your biblical theology through your political ideology, it's called idolatry. And, and that's coming from a pastor in Washington, D.C., where I see that all the time. I just think we got to make sure that our theology is locked and loaded. And then, Jeff, I think we operate in grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Grace means I'll love you no matter what. Truth means I'll be honest with you no matter what. And so it's not about compromising our convictions. It's about holding to biblical conviction, but also operating out of compassion. And there's a tension to those two things, but I think that's 
where the gospel is incarnated and where we can have the greatest impact uh, on culture. You know, you said something at the Cove, and I, I can't remember. You probably said it somewhere else, and I've just missed it, but I love what you said at the Cove about there never should be a time and a place when we're putting an adjective in front of the word gospel. Maybe, yeah. maybe elaborate I for mean, 60 seconds on that. Yeah. I mean, if you add to the gospel, you're actually subtracting from it. And so, you know, people people talk about a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, which, by the way, deserves some nuancing because I do believe that God can and does uh, bless us financially in ways that enable us not to raise our standard of living, but raise our standard of giving. So mm-hmm. I, I think we're too binary in the way that we look at things as yes or no, true or false. But that said, the gospel is as good as it gets. If you add something to it, you're actually watering it down. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think our theology needs to be on point these days because the winds of doctrine are blowing. And, uh, you know, I tell our congregation all the time, I'm not the final authority when it comes to matters of faith and doctrine. As soon as I'm omniscient, I will let you know, but I wouldn't hold your breath. (laughs) Uh, Scripture is our plumb line. Scripture is the final authority, and it's living and active, and you don't just read it. It reads you, and it's God-breathed. And uh, by the way, I keep in my Bible uh, something that A.W. Tozer said. He said, Whatever keeps me from my Bible is my enemy, wow. however harmless it may appear to be. Wow. Was that in knowledge of the holy or pursuit of God? Or when did he sit just right? You know, I can't remember because Tozer, you just pull quotes oh, from all over the place. Big time. But that's a powerful one. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So knowledge of the holy I read in Montana. And it was maybe most impactful book in right place change of pace, change of place, change of perspective. And I've been reading super slowly Abide in Christ by Andrew Murray. Wow. Have you read that one? Yeah. Andrew Murray, A.W. Tozer, Raven Hill, those classic writers. You just, you can't get much better than that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Mark, people would be mad at me if I did not finish with these five I like to do. I I do them probably 90% of the time, but these are just the rapid five, quick hitting First thing that comes to your mind, super quick. Here we go. Favorite childhood snack or cereal? Now and Laters from 7-Eleven. Wow. Did not That's see that. way back. Yeah. I did yeah. not see that coming. Do you, do you find Are they anywhere now? Does anybody have them still? No, those are, and those will kill your teeth. Oh, yeah, they would. Like, don't, don't do Hard. it. If you still, if you have your adult teeth, Yeah, they're stop. done. They're done. <laughs> so what is your favorite non-Mark Batterson book you most want to gift to other people or have gifted to other people? Yeah, and and that one depends on seasons, but it probably would be in A.W. Tozer. Pursuit of God was a game changer for me. It just hit me at the right time in the right way. Uh, so probably a, a Tozer book it's easier for me to answer who I enjoy reading. Where's you know, that? I love people that cross pollinate like a Malcolm Gladwell mm. or an Adam Grant, people that pull from different disciplines. 
But in terms of favorite book, and they're all over the map. Like, I love The Hidden Life of Trees. Like, what? Yeah, I love it. It's a fascinating book about trees. Yeah. So uh, Albert Einstein said, never lose a holy curiosity. Amen. So I, I'm interested in a lot of different things, uh, including, evidently, trees. There you go. Good stuff. So let's say you and Laura and Parker and Summer and Josiah are heading towards Springfield and you're driving and it's about an eight and a half hour drive, I think. And you, you're you now they're older now, so they can probably control bladders a little better than if they were younger. But you guys are ready to stop. You plan it. You're like, we're going to stop here. All of a sudden, a bathroom happens or traffic or something. You got to stop about 10 or 15 minutes sooner than you thought. And on the exit ramp, now this is probably not going to happen because one of these places is not around, but we'll assume it is. You see McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out Burger. Where would Team Batterson go? Yeah, let me pray about it. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might My say point- In-N-Out. I thought you might say in and out. No, no, I like in and out. If I'm, if I'm West coast, I I enjoy, you know, what is it? Animal style, but Chick-fil-A has my vote. It's not ice cream. It's ice dream. (laughs) So after I get done taping this, I think we've done about 85, 86 podcasts. The funniest moment ever in one of my podcasts, we'll give him another shout out. Clark Kellogg. When I asked that question, I didn't even get like probably five words into the question. He goes, Chick-fil-A. I said, Clark. He goes, Jeff, you sent me the question. He goes, done. There's no, there's no question. It's chick. And he went on and I'm like, dag, I did not know Clark was going to make the funniest. Go ahead. You're, you're ready to add to it. There's no debate. (laughs) I mean, I could have answered much quicker. There you go. (laughs) So Mark, what's the movie that gets you every time you stumble across this movie it's old school. It's not streaming and you choose it. You, you flip and all of a sudden this movie popped up. What would you have to see every time, whether it's you solo or you and Laura? Well, I'm kind of a child of the 80s. So all 80s all the time, really uh, any any kind of throwback, whether it's a humorous Tommy boy yeah. or a, a field of dreams. Uh, give me some Rocky Four. Give me Hoosiers. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of a I love those old movies. If I'm flipping channels, uh, if I'm seeing the the born movies, I'm probably watching happy. those too. There you go. Well, two seasons ago, my son Alex played in the Hoosiers gym for a basketball game. So he got that pleasure. I I got a t-shirt. He was just wearing his hoodie a couple days ago. So he had a little neat thing happen with basketball in the Hoosiers gym. So lastly, I got to ask you the question we love first celebrity crush. Oh man, you're saving that for last. Yep. Wow. Um, I'm going to answer it in a way you don't want, but it, it'll, it'll keep me from getting incriminated in any form or fashion. It was a it was a Michael Jordan man crush. Like I grew up in Chicago yeah, with Jordan on the Bulls, and uh, honestly, at that point, I didn't care about girls anyway. So I had the I, I it was MJ shoes, Gatorade, tank top, you name it. So did you I, love I, did you love Air? 
Oh, yeah. Well, and Dolores Jordan is kind of the the hero of that movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, wow. She wasn't messing around, was she? She had some forethought and foresight, for sure. So how many pairs of Jordans do you have? Uh, I've got a few. Yeah. But not, I, not, you know, I've got two or three. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing yeah. the life that those, th- I mean, they're, they're, they might be killing it now more than they've ever done. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, Mark, it is that time. You, you've you got things you probably have to do, and we've you've been gracious, and I, I'm grateful for Allison who has made this thing happen, and uh, we got it nailed down. And the timing worked out really well since we just saw each other a couple months ago, and you and Team NCC were great and generous and blessed our church, and I'm glad we got to share about that. And, Mark, I can't say it enough. Just thank you for being you. I'm grateful that you invest in a way that – Praise God for God's calling on your life to write because that's had a huge impact on many. I think I've read probably about 15 of your books, read most. And, uh, you know, you've you you're, you've been a guy when I've needed to reach out and have a question, you've been available. And I uh, really appreciate all that about you. Well, back at you, Jeff. A joy. What a fun conversation. And I, I think that the takeaway is that we both really uh, – admire Clark Kellogg that seems to be the takeaway he will uh, he will appreciate he will appreciate that comment I think so I love it all right thanks for joining us Mark appreciate it God bless thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast you can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at the gathering of the Miami Valley join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation the Rise FM Podcast Network.